We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. We're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. From Haaland, Messi, and Rapino, plus many more, episodes will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So, stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Nicolato. Tonight's show, we're going to flip it to the defensive side of the ball in our positional breakdown series, trying to break down this expanded Giants roster as we roll into, hopefully, maybe, training camp starting in August. Who knows? Uh, we don't really know what's going on with the NFL. It's going to get pushed back. Anything in that, anything in regards to that, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously keep you updated on that. You'll probably hear it first, uh, maybe on your phones before you hear it on the pod, but we'll adjust and adapt and talk about that as it comes. But for now, we're going to break, continue breaking down the roster, flip to the defensive side of the ball. Tonight, we're going to break down the interior defensive front. Um, but before we do that, Nick, I wanted to get a little update on your quarantine life. Obviously, things are changing a little bit. We had a 4th of July, so hopefully you got a chance to do something uh, outdoors for that. Um, anything, any, anything recent? What, what were your 4th of July? Like 4th of July, I had some friends over, brought my brother over. We made some ribs, you know, celebrated the, the holiday also, you know, made some little, these, I'm not a big, uh, eater of the desserts we'll say, but we made these little graham cracker s'more things in the oven with marshmallows on top, toasting the marshmallows. Oh, they were, 
they were absolutely fantastic. Ribs fell off the bone, you know, just absolutely killed it. Don't have a grill here, but you know what? We may do, and it uh, really turned out really well. And as for quarantine life, I've just been going on a lot of runs recently, man. The weather has been really nice, and uh, I'm I get I got achy achy joints at my um. My young but elder age, at least that's how I feel, very old, but I've been kind of uh, slowly ingratiating myself back into running, uh, you know, three, four miles a day, and uh, I've held up so far, so that's definitely a plus. There's not much more in life that I dislike more than running, um, just anti-running, and <laughs> just, I could play basketball for four hours, if I'm in a game, a good game, where I'm not, you know, outmatch or where the people aren't horrible and it's somewhere around my playing level around my skill level i can play basketball for three and a half hours straight with minimal breaks minimal water all that oh and you know i need a lot of water but like minimal breaks but running i just i can't run i ha- I need some kind of competition involved the game something you know i could play i could you know i could exercise without fail if there's a game involved or weightlifting because i feel like there's just progress you make when you're lifting weights but running it's just not for me nick yeah for me man if i'm gonna be honest it wouldn't be for me, but it's all about what you're listening to. So if I'm listening to just music that I'm driving with, it then I just fall in love with it and I just get lost in the music. But I usually listen to podcasts. That's what I do when I lift. That's what I do when I run because I'm kind of stimulating my body, stimulating my mind at the same time. And if it's a really interesting material for me, I really just get lost in it. Don't even feel the pain of the run or the lifting session. Yeah, man. If it works for you, it works for you. I'm totally – uh, down for that. If if I enjoyed it, I would do it. Um, you know, I walk a lot. That's basically my version of of exercise when I'm not playing a sport. Um, did get a chance to actually have an awesome Fourth uh, of July barbecue as well at my friend's house. Just bought a new house. A lot of our friends came over. It was a little, you know, some people were worried about potentially the social distancing things like that. But there was a lot of space. It was all outdoors. I feel like everyone did a solid job of social distancing. Um, you know, things of that nature. And it was a great barbecue. Um, my one regret was definitely, you know, <laughs> quarantine tolerance level as far as alcohol goes has dropped a bit. Um, <laughs> and whew, started out the day with a Brooklyn summer ale and then quickly made the move to Terramana uh, Tequila, which is the new brand from, from The Rock, which I'm extremely pleasantly surprised by. I think it's like a better version of Espelon and maybe even like as good as Casamigos. And it's not as expensive as Casamigos, which is a good tequila, in my opinion, solid stuff. Um, so had a couple awesome tequila drinks, but then the biggest issue was the consistency, how long I kept drinking. And then I made a late night switch at some point to just, there was a, there was an embarrassment of riches when it came to the, um, what are they called? The, uh, the seltzers, the, um, what, what are they called? Nick, the hard seltzers. Or they're like, there's either Trulies. There's a couple different no, no, brands. The big one, the big one, the one everybody likes. Uh, the biggest I'm, brand. What's it? What the? Yeah, it's like Trulies Big Brother. What? What the, what the hell? I mean, everyone's listening to this right now, Before being like, Yo. Truly, yeah. I, uh, this is this is this is bad radio right here. We're gonna move on. But yeah. whatever the big, whatever the big one, I had a few of those, and then I had the Corona seltzers because somebody brought those over. Before you know it, with these hard seltzers, you're like five or six deep in. You're drinking late night, and you're just. It, I mean, it was a, it was one of those classic late night hangouts. I mean, just going on for hours, old school hangout, but you're just sucking down these hard seltzers. And before you know it, they get to you and you wake up with those grain at the grain alcohol. They put in those things, man, the hangovers, whew, this was almost a full day hangover for me. So not thrilled about that, but I'm powering through. We had to get a pot in. We, uh, wanted to talk some giants football. So the, the hangover has finally subsided to, to, a, to a, to a degree where I can at least talk and not have like a massive headache, but you know, besides the hangover, very successful 4th of July. 
That's that's good to hear, man. I, the entire month of June, I actually was on. I didn't drink any alcohol, so I was oh, just. Nice. Gonna, I'm just gonna cut alcohol out of my uh, diet for an entire month. Over and I sober June. Yeah, sober June. It was fun. It went over well. And then July fourth, I had some red breast whiskey and I had some scotch, a little bit of scotch as well. And uh, it, you know what? I missed it. It, it. it tastes really good for me because I'm a huge whiskey guy. Obviously, I like a good strong glass of scotch as well. So it was a it was a good time. Yeah. Sounds like a good time to me. And listen, for anyone who hasn't tried it, I would highly suggest the Terramana Tequila. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If not, I'm an idiot. But that's The Rock's brand, and I'm a big fan of The Rock in general. But he's doing a good job with this stuff because his whole thing is it's supposed to be tequila for the people. It's supposed to be really high-quality tequila but also affordable, and I think he nailed it. Knocked it out of the park with that one, Nick. Um, But, you know, in other news, we're getting a little bit closer to the actual, hopefully, start of this season. So let's talk some Giants football. Let's dive White right claw. in. White Claw. White Claw. That's We're idiots, man. Ugh. How do I miss White Claw? It's it's so obviously White Claw. So, yeah, White Claw had a few of those. A few of the Corona seltzers is disastrous for the, for the next day hangover. But, <laughs> listen, uh, before – but by the way, before we dive into the Giants, actually, one more one more development. I know you're in a part of this, too. The Scott Fishbowl, which we mentioned on the last podcast, it gets going tomorrow. The draft gets going tomorrow. This is the – the most incredible fantasy football uh, probably event draft you'll see and all, you know, all for a really good cause for charity. So take a look, follow us. Me and Nick will talk a little bit about it. I'm sure on the podcast, you'll probably see it on our Twitters as well. What pick do you have, Dan? I have the third pick overall. What do you have? I'm the seventh, bro. Schofield's a bad spot, I think. Schofield and I both have the seventh. I think the seven's a bad spot in this draft. I agree. I specifically think the seven's a bad spot, actually. Um, so I don't know, but I'm kind of okay with the third pick. I haven't decided what direction I'm going to go in because it's super flex. So quarterbacks are more valuable. And in a super flex snake like this and a non-auction, these quarterbacks, once they're gone, you're like screwed and you can't get any. But also the way he changed the scoring settings, it seems to have made – he the, the coolest thing about the Scott Fishbowl is always that the scoring settings are so different from any other fantasy league you're ever a part of. And he keeps adjusting them every year to try to make them you know, fairer and make them more interesting and try to take away the, the obvious strategies like wait for a quarterback or you know whatever it may be. And – this year, I looked at the settings, and I read a little bit about up on it, and it seems to have created an even bigger gap as far as the importance of the top quarterbacks are. So I would never normally draft a quarterback super flat, definitely not in a 1QB league in the first round. You, you have to be a complete novice in fantasy football in a 1QB league, draft a quarterback in round one. It's just unbelievably ill-advised. But even in a super flex, I probably wouldn't, um, and I'm still not sure I will. I might take one of those backs. I haven't decided yet if I'm taking one of the three or if I'm taking a quarterback. And if I take a quarterback, I haven't even decided if it's going to be Mahomes or Lamar. So there's a lot going on with this third pick. For, for me, it's it's got to be Lamar by the, by the way Scott has the scoring. The scoring, and it's, yeah. The, the Why do you say Because compl- completions, what, completions are, on, I think an incompletion is a minus one point. Right. And then a completion is 0.5. It's something along those lines. The completion percentage for Lamar Jackson was so high. You combine that with the fact that he can run the ball. The fact that Greg Roman has all of these just easy little play action dump offs built in. Yeah. His incompletion rate is going to be really low compared to some of these other guys that are going to be throwing the football well into the fourth quarter, which Lamar probably won't be doing because he has a good defense as well. So I look at Lamar Jackson and I'm like, I, I would probably go running back there. But I, if I'm sitting there at seven, where I am, and Lamar's not picked, 
I'm gonna put some serious thought into. No, taking he'll it. he'll he'll be he'll be gone. I think by seven in this in this format in this format. The format, of course. So you got but, gotta lay that out because yeah. taking a quarterback. <laughs> literally, I'm in so many leagues, man, and people do that all the time. I just smile because value just falls right into my lap. Yeah, without a doubt. And you know what? I've been burned in the past in the Scott Fishbowl just because the draft's so early. It's always this July 4th, uh, right after July 4th. And I've been burned. I had Le'Veon the year he held out when no one knew that was going to happen in July. I had Adrian Peterson the year he tore his ACL or whatever. Maybe it was the year he got suspended for a season. Um, I had Barkley last year during the injury year. So I've just really missed on all of these. I've always had a top pick, it seems like. And I've just missed on these running backs. So part of that, I think, is... Is factoring in here, so we'll see what happens. I haven't made my decision yet, but I'm excited for it. It starts tomorrow. Yeah, I'm really pumped for it as well. So we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll definitely talk about it. Yeah, but let's talk some Giants football right now, and let's dive into the interior defensive line. We're gonna break it down like this. We'll do the edges, and that's kind of the outside backers. Um, next podcast, then we're gonna do some inside backers, and then we'll either break it down cornerbacks and cornerbacks alone and safeties, or we might do the whole secondary. But for today, we'll start with the defensive front. Um, that's what we'll call it. It's the interior defensive guys. And that means the guys lined up at defensive end on the, you know, in a three, four or, 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 you know, the inside on the interior defensive tackle, the zero tech, the one tech, the three, depending on what the giants are running. It doesn't matter. The point is their hand is in the dirt. Now, one thing I want to start by saying is this, there's a big debate, I think in the football community about the importance these days of having a strong interior defensive front. At this point, everyone who knows anything understands the importance of having a strong offensive front. But I feel like that is not as appreciated on the defensive side of the ball. I feel like a lot of people take it for granted. They believe these guys, you know, are mostly for the most part just helping teams against the run, not making enough of a difference in the pass game. I'm not so sure I believe that. If you look at all of these really good defenses and the teams that continue to improve, the Ravens, what did they do this offseason? They traded for Calais Campbell. The Eagles, what did they do this offseason? They signed uh, Hargrave. Uh, another interior defensive guy. Teams are continuing to build up their interior defensive front. They understand the importance of winning the line of scrimmage, not just on the offensive side of the ball with your offensive line, but on the defensive side of the ball. And while it didn't look pretty for the Giants last year after they did pour all these assets into your defensive line, first round pick on Dexter Lawrence, traded for former top five overall pick, or maybe he was six, Leonard Williams, yes. had Dalvin Tomlinson a former second rounder. They um, and, and BJ Hill, obviously, another former early third rounder who had success early in his rookie season. They still have RJ McIntosh on the roster. They had a lot of talent on the defensive front. And yet the results we didn't always see there. The run defense still wasn't excellent. It got better when Leonard Williams there got there, but it still wasn't excellent. And I think a lot of people immediately and obviously the pass rush wasn't there. I think a lot of people immediately, as Giants fans, blame this front for the run defense not being dominant. But the reality of the situation, in my opinion, Nick, and I went back before we did this podcast, I, I wanted to, every time I look at film, I take notes on what I was seeing, and it comes more and more clear to me why they signed Blake Martinez, this team, and why the biggest issue, in my opinion, with the run defense last year was not the interior defensive front. There was only so much they can do when they had what they had working behind them, which was Peppers got injured. They didn't have the safeties who can, who can, who can play the run really well. And more importantly, Alec Ogletree was incredibly deficient, stopping the run, coming right at him as the inside backer, the guy who has to stop the run there. Mayo was a little better, but not much. I, I wasn't a big fan. He didn't have the sideline to sideline plays that I wanted to see from backer. And of course, there's not, there's not a Bobby Wagner on every team. The Giants aren't going to have one this year. Blake Martinez is not a Bobby Wagner himself, but he, can do this one thing really well that has been killing the Giants' run defense, in my opinion, a lot more than the defensive front. So my question for you is, Nick, is that in line with what you saw? And do you think that 
the importance, or I guess importance is not the word I'm looking for. Do you think that the value of what they've done on the defensive front will shine more this season as they've made more additions on the second and third level of the defense? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit weird to analyze it uh, in accordance, I guess, with last year, just because they are d- different defensive coordinators as well. Because I'm sure schematically they're going to do a lot of different things too. But the addition of Blake Martinez is such an upgrade. And I know Giant fans weren't overly excited. At least that's what you saw on Twitter when Martinez was added. But they didn't seem overly excited. But he is a significant upgrade over Alec Ogletree. I know everybody wanted that coverage linebacker people were talking about, Littleton from the Rams. But Blake Martinez is somebody who is always going to put himself in position to make a play, to fill a hole, and to execute his assignments at a high level while just excelling in the box. And he's not a complete liability outside of the box on things like wide zone, stretch zone, outside zone, and things like that. So I do, I feel like the you're going to see the line get better. And I also feel that way because all these guys are young on this line and they're just going to, if, you know, development's not always linear, like I say, but the development for some of these guys should get better. Dalvin Thompson took a significant jump from 2018 to 2019. I imagine Lawrence is going to take a jump, and he already had a good season last year. I think Leonard Williams will continue to play at a solid level, especially against the run, too. So I I do feel like the unit as a whole, you can see it be uh, maximized more because Blake Martinez is playing behind them. And David Mayo will still be there, and then you add guys like Kyler Fackrell, Shane Zimenez, who should be out there, hopefully not be as much of a liability against the run. But I'm hoping there's not a a game like the Cardinal game, like Chase Edmonds looked like right, <laughs> looked like Walter Payton out there. And maybe you, I don't even think we've ever talked about this, but maybe that helped facilitate the trade to even get Leonard Williams because it was just it was it was asinine. But a big reason why that defense was really bad against the run in certain cases, and again down the stretch of the season played a lot better. But that was an Alec Ogletree effect. Ogletree was over the hill. Dave Gettleman went and he traded for him. Ogletree was never good in this regard. No. Was never, no. This was never. He was know. built up, built up to be this athletic. He was. That's what everyone said. He's like, oh yeah, he's one of those athletic. T-. I was like, I, I wrote a piece for Inside the Pylon back in the day, and I said the one good thing that can kind of come from this trade is I think he can be effective in the in the blitzing package of James Betcher because that's what we saw in Arizona with some of the yeah. linebackers that he used, and we didn't even see that to a level of where it would have made me feel at least like okay, well we got some value there because he did against the pass. Against the run, he was just out of position way too often. Blake Martinez shouldn't be like that, judging by everything that he did in two separate defenses up there in Green Bay with Dom Capers and Mike Pettin. And to be fair to Alec Ogletree, I think that I think that he was he he made some athletic plays, not in man coverage, but some athletic plays in zone coverage. He also was effective when when used as a blitzer, which wasn't often for whatever reason. And he, especially in 2018, he was actually pretty good at making run stops sideline to sideline. His biggest issue was when the run came right at him, and that was the Giants' biggest issue, stopping the run last year. That's why they were a middle-of-the-pack run defense overall, and obviously below middle-of-the-pack before Leonard Williams got there. And that's just why I really do believe that this Blake Martinez, and we'll get more into Martinez when we break down the linebackers, but I think it really is going to show just the, the, the biggest jump you'll see is really with this defensive line getting more credit. Yeah, and... The thing about the defensive line itself, and we saw this a ton from Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson specifically, and I hope to see more of this from B.J. Hill, is at the point of attack. Say you have Dalvin Tomlinson at one technique, or they could even be at three technique. When they engage the guard or the center, what do they get? They get that initial upfield push to where they can stack, and then they turn their head and they can just look right around the center of the guard and see where the running back's going. If you get that upfield push, you kind of create a barrier if the 
path of the running back is to that direction. And then that running back has to make a split decision to kind of cut back off that path. And that's where it's the job of the linebacker to scrape and flow over the top to kind of fill the hole if needed. Because every gap usually is accounted for. Defenses, typically, most defenses run a lot of just pure one gap. I know teams like the Patriots sprinkle in two gap here and there. We might actually see that with the Giants just because uh, Patrick Graham is a disciple of the Patriots, um, of the Bel- Bill Belichick and everything like that. But those linebackers not being in position after the first level of defense does their job, that was that's the issue. And hopefully yeah. that can be rectified. So that's what we're, I'm really hoping for. That's what Giant fans should be hoping for is that that second level of defense that is ignored a lot by a lot of teams, if we're going to be really honest. I mean, the Cowboys ignored it for so long, and then they invested heavily in it with Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch. The Eagles are still, they still barely invest any assets into that linebacker position. So Giants went out and they gave this contract to a really, really smart player. So let's hope it uh, you know bears fruit for us. And before we break down the players, Nick, I want to talk about kind of the distribution of the roster because it, it's really interesting. Obviously, we talked all about how much resources the Giants poured into this interior defensive line under Gettleman, how import, how many premium resources, I should say. But then this offseason, they really didn't do much on the defensive line. They got to they, they signed Austin Johnson, a former second-round pick, who might be able to rebirth his career with the Giants, really just fell behind in a really crowded interior defensive line over there in Tennessee. Um, but has flashed. And other than that, they're pretty much just bringing back the same guys they had last year. And if you look at it, there's only going to be nine current interior defensive linemen on the roster versus 17 linebackers on the roster, which really just goes to show you where this defense is headed. It's not necessarily going to be a lock 3-4, but we're going to see a lot more of these looks. And it's not exactly a 3-4, like you talked about. It's like more bare front. But the point is, there's really just going to be... It's nothing like these past Jerry Reese Giants defensive lines where there were a ton of defensive linemen competing every camp because there were going to be four guys with their hand in the dirt every single snap. And this is just not going to be the case. And they and you really look at those numbers, 17 versus 9, and I think it shines. It shows they have faith in these guys that they've invested a lot in, obviously. And they're going to be using a lot more linebackers, a lot more second and third level defenders are going to make up this defense on a snap to snap basis. So let's start with Leonard Williams. That's the big one here. Um, obviously, when he made when, when he was brought over via the trade, we have we don't need to talk about the trade. If it was a good trade, blah, blah, blah. We've done that already. Let's just talk about him on the roster for 2019 for last from last season and what he can do this season. So it's going to be a sec. It's going to be a second full year with the or first full year with the team. Now he's more ingrained in the culture, in the locker room, everything like that. He obviously is going to a new defense like all these guys, but what did you make of his debut season? Because it's very, with the Giants, his debut half season, I just say, because I thought there was a noticeable uptick in the run defense. I thought he got a good amount of pressures but and pushed the pocket well, but I think his, his issue was finishing. Um, and what I was most surprised by, Nick, and you could tell me if you saw this too, because I know you recently went back and looked at some more Leonard Williams tape. They lined him up a lot as kind of like a true almost like a true defensive end almost in the, because they really didn't have anyone else to to line up in these spots and I'm not so sure that really benefited him um kind of going it lined up in those spot in those scenarios so what so what are your thoughts on Williams after watching more tape and, and where do you stand I, I I saw just a pure versatile player to be honest I didn't I saw him be lined up at that five tech and that defensive end spot but I've also seen him be a one technique a three technique they used to kick him inside a lot on third downs and honestly if it wasn't for the trade and a lot of fans are bitter for that and I you know I agree we we talked about what our feelings about that trade was but 
people are kind of not acknowledging that he's still a really effective player. And I know, yes, he had a half sack last year, but you can't just look at the sacks. I mean, since coming over to the Giants, he was he had 31 total pressures, which was top 10 interior defensive linemen. Now, that's not the best number, but he's coming into a new system and he doesn't have that continuity with his teammates. If you watch the games, too. Especially those early games, he had what five pressures against Dallas, six against the Jets, three against Chicago, and then five against Green Bay. And then week sixteen against Washington, he ended up having six. And a lot of those were hurries, which is a better better statistic than just overall pressures. I think he creates solid interior pressure. I think he's very, very again, versatile. I think he gets his hands out of his stance incredibly quickly. He's really, really quick off the snap, and his lateral agility is way above average as well. I think he gains the chest of offensive linemen really well, has incredibly long arms, and he's actually flexible because, again, this is a six foot six, six foot five, three hundred and two pound player. And he's a really, really good athlete at that size. I think he would be maximized, like we said, with another defensive end who is more athletic, like a true defensive end edge type of player. I think that would really maximize his skill set and allow him to have more one-on-ones because there were a lot of plays where he was getting chipped or he was getting double teamed and he would still make the play, especially against the run. The thing with Leonard Williams, like you brought up, he's not finishing. He's not finishing at the quarterback when it comes to just getting sacks. And that is something that's going to be frustrating to the fan base. And it's frustrating to me too, especially when it's third down and he's putting that pressure on, but you know what still ends up in a completion. We saw that against green Bay on that deep pass to Alan Lazard. He was right there to go and nail Aaron Rodgers, And what happened? Alan Lazard ended up getting that big catch that happened a bunch of times throughout the season as well, but he's still a nuisance for the offense. He's still disruptive as an interior pass rusher and he's against the run he's really good at finding he's very very smart he's technically sound he plays with excellent leverage despite the fact that he's a really tall guy so i think he has a lot to offer but if it wasn't for this the trade and the current contract struggles i think giant fans would view him in a much positive much more positive light but he does need to finish and uh I mean, I think he's just uh, one of the more underrated guys right now, and I know that's not really a popular opinion among the fan base. Well, that's good to hear because you're obviously a little bit higher than him. I am, and I'm still pretty high on him. I'm fine with it. I, obviously, I don't like the trade. I think they gave it way too much, and there was really no reason to do it. Um, I'll stand by that forever. Don't see the point. I never I will understand. I, I don't care what Giants fans say. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah, I do know. Okay, the Giants could have signed him and told him you don't have to move anywhere. Your whole family's in the. You're going to be playing in the same stadium. We're giving you more money than anyone else. Don't worry about it. Um, no, now, no reason to give him all that leverage. But again, there was that's no reason to give him leverage and, and cost yourself a you know a rookie contract four years under two million, and that's what they cost themselves the 68th overall pick. That was that could have been Zach Bond. Um, it would have been Zach so Bond. It would have been Zach Bond. So you know we'll see what happens there, but. All of that aside, I think he can be a super valuable player for this team, and that's really all that matters. But I want to transition to another guy on this interior defensive front who really is such a nice surprise for me because I had concerns about him transitioning to to the Badgers defense. I had concerns about him being a carryover from the Jerry Reese era, and really his career kind of was plateauing, it seemed to me, before the second half of 2019. You were kind of one of the first people on this, Nick, I think, in my opinion, at least from what I've observed on you know the Giants analysis world, to say that Dalvin Tomlinson was playing the best football of any Giants player um, during the second half of the 2019 season. And he really was. What he became was more than just what he was. And what he was earlier in his career was this 
Uh, awesome play strength guy. This guy at the point of attack was not going to give much ground. But last year, in the second half, he really started to get some pressure on the quarterback. He started to really expand his pass rush repertoire. And that really excites me because if he can also deliver some pressures, like we talked about with Williams, finish some of these like he was able to do, and become this dual-threat guy who can also generate pressure and has more moves in his arsenal as a pass rusher— it just makes this defensive front a lot stronger. It, you know, it's not like the old days of having Damon Harris in the middle of that 4-3 where you knew he was just not ever going to get that interior sack or he was never going to break free, never going to make a tackle, you know, n- you know, never going to tackle the quarterback for a sack. All these little things that kind of pigeonholed the Giants' defense and they needed pressure from the edge and exterior every time. I feel like Dalvin Thompson was able to do a lot to to do a lot of the things that we didn't see from Harrison, honestly, uh, as far as the pass rush goes. So, give us a little more of a breakdown on on on, on Tomlinson. Are you as excited about him moving into this season? A hundred percent. Dallin Tomlinson to me made the biggest jump of any New York Giant from one year to the next, and I didn't necessarily expect it, but you started seeing glimpses of it early on in the season and not even necessarily against the pass. And that was a little bit more. I remember the green Bay game and the, the Philly game, yeah. I think the first Philly game, he had a couple uh, pressures and maybe a sack or two. And it was like, okay, Dalvin, but like all throughout the season, it was just his ability to stop the run at the line of scrimmage. I remember in the new England game, it kind of jumped out and there were a couple other big instances. I think the Vikings game, he might've had a couple ones that were like really jumping out as well. So He's just incredibly strong at the point of attack, and you could tell that <laughs> you could tell that interior offensive lineman to hate going up against him because he literally will get that initial push that I was talking about before. Will get his hands inside. He'll push the guy back just enough to where the running back has to make a decision to cut off of him and maybe change his route up, which is causing a whole mental thing in that running back's mind. It's disrupting the play. So when that happens, you need somebody else to come and make that tackle or really force that running back into a really precarious situation. But Dalvin Thompson was doing this at the line of scrimmage in short yardage positions throughout the entire season. I mean, according to Pro Football Focus, let's see, he had, what, 26 stops on the year, and stops are basically plays that are either a a little net positive or just a negative play when it comes to the offense's success rate. And he had 26 of those on the season, and it just really came in really big spots as well, and it just always was jumping out, his pure strength and brute toughness, really, at the point of attack. So, for me, I I really enjoyed watching him this past season. And it's not even like I didn't enjoy watching him the other two years. It's just something that I expected that he probably wasn't going to be get, receive a second contract from the Giants. The Giants would move move on from him. But after this year, I'm like I really hope the Giants retain a player like Dalvin Tomlinson, even though he wasn't a draft selection by Dave Gettleman. He was a carryover, but he really uh, showed a lot when it comes yeah. to just dominance. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. He was the highest graded uh, r- defender on the entire Giants defense, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, number 11 overall among all, all interior defensive linemen, which is amazing, really, when you consider how many strong de- interior defensive linemen there are across the NFL. It's probably one of the deepest positions in the NFL. 49 tackles, six run stuffs per, 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 per PFF, um, a forced fumble, three and a half sacks. And like you said, I think he's worked his way into the Giants' long-term plans, and that wasn't always going to be the case, especially as they switched over from Reese. And, and and it's interesting because this is why I was arguing all offseason why I thought the best move for Leonard Williams was not to sign him to this long-term deal was to make him prove himself on a one-year deal. I think ultimately the decision will come down to Tomlinson or Williams. I don't think they'll re-sign both. I don't think it, it's, you know, it makes sense from a cap standpoint. So they're going to, they're going to have to be competing for this final spot. And as of now, I'm giving my money 
on, on Tomlinson being that guy. We'll see where it goes um, from that regard. But definitely another guy who I think is just an excellent player for this Giants defense. And again, you know, there will always be that debate of how important it is to have these defensive front type players like Tomlinson, guys who are obviously run, more run first than pass first in today's NFL, where, you know, the Giants... Even when they were good against the run, they were giving up a lot of third and seven, a lot of third and long situations last year in the past game. So, you know, some people say, what's the point? Why do I care about getting into third and long if it's if they're going to convert at, at a high rate in third and long, almost as high of a rate as they're converting in third and short? But, you know, I think that that can be improved on. And, you know, in general, it's still a lot harder for these teams to convert these third and long situations. Um and it's a good thing to have. I really do believe that. I think the Giants become a, a tougher team, a more physical team. Like you said in that Patriots game, and that was before Leonard Williams. They, The Patriots barely moved the ball in that game. I remember that game. They did not score much, and they barely moved the ball on the offensive side of the ball. The Giants did an excellent job stopping an offense there that had a really solid offensive line, great system in place that's been there for years. The quarterback's been running it. And they did that because they won up front, and they played a really physical game there on the front. So adding to that for me was... A player who's, you know, who's a pick, a rookie last season, Dexter Lawrence, a pick that was again criticized a lot because, you know, like I said, people who don't value these interior guys are saying, why would a GM take an interior defensive lineman at 17 overall? Meanwhile, he's almost 330, what 340 pounds, six foot four, moves like he's 300 pounds, and the bend that Dexter Lawrence has, it's it's quite fun to watch. He's the most. He's the lineman I had the most fun watching when I went back on this All-22 because I see so much upside for Dexter Lawrence, and I see so many analysts are going to be eating are going to be eating crow by criticizing this pick. I really do believe that. Obviously, you know, the numbers back it up as far as the people who are who are great. You know, it's hard to grade interior defensive linemen. Everybody understands that much. But as far as, as, far as um, Dexter Lawrence goes, he was— Last year, according to Pro Football Focus, at least, and these are the guys who at least attempt to kind of grade these play these interior guys based on the tape they're seeing, and he was the top rookie interior defensive lineman in in the entire league. And remember, this is in a year where the the draft had some really talented players on the interior defensive line. The the Bills took bid uh, Ed Oliver in the top ten. Quentin Williams in the top 10, Christian Wilkins went before Lawrence, and he graded out better than all these guys. Even Jeffrey Simmons, who came along strong for the Titans, and Jerry Tillery of the Chargers. You know, he beat them all as far as his grade goes. Um, he had four games of 80-plus grade, and, and this is obviously pro football because it is what it is, but we, it, when it adds up and when it aligns with what we see on tape, that's when we start to get excited about players like this, and I really think he's an extremely underrated part of this Giants team. People just, you know, he's not going to have the sacks. He's not going to have the flashy stats. Uh, the interior defensive guy is never going to have that. But when you watch, it's he's the most exciting guy that I see on that interior defensive front. It jumped out really early, too. That Buffalo game, it was right. like, boom. He was just making play after play, and I was like, wow, this, this kid can really box. I was one of those guys, too, who when we selected him, I was a little dubious. I was a little bit reserved, too, especially after Giants drafted DJ Hill the year prior and Dalvin Tomlinson the year before that. But I quickly, just watching the All-22 and watching the tape, I was like, Dexter Lawrence is it, man. He's he's a really talented player. He's got quick hands. He's really strong at the point of attack. He gets the push. He can play the run. He creates a little bit of interior pressure as well. He had 30 total pressures uh, in the entire season, which is, I mean, Leonard Williams played, what, nine games for the from, from week nine to week 17 for the Giants with a bye week in there, and he had 31. So 
He's not the kind of pass rusher that Leonard Williams is, but he's, this is a rookie right here. That's not why he's out there. He's six foot four, three hundred and forty two pounds, and he's still getting pressures on the quarterback. So, I I'm really excited about his future. I think if I had to pick my favorite one to watch from last year, it'd probably still be Dalvin Tomlinson. But I mean, Dexter Lawrence is right up there. I'm on the Lawrence train. I really think he's an excellent player, an excellent uh, you know person to evaluate and watch. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, Nick, moving on from the big three, who we are, you know, expecting to get the most snaps on this interior defensive line. Um... Let's move on to a player who, I guess, had a disappointing 2019 season just because this 2018 season was so promising, and that's B.J. Hill. Obviously, the snap count went down. What do you make of Hill? Was it more of just an example of a guy losing playing time and not getting the right opportunities, or do you think that he actually regressed a bit? It's kind of hard for me to say because he was getting all those opportunities early on in the season, and... To an extent, I remember us talking about, we never said, oh, wow, where's B.J. Hill? He doesn't, like, we were like, yeah, B.J. Hill made a couple plays here and there, but it wasn't anything that was jumping out at us. Like, we were really raving about Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson. We weren't necessarily raving about B.J. Hill. And then once Leonard Williams came over, his snap counts dwindled. I mean, week three, he was 38, or week two was 54 snaps, week three, 38 snaps, week four was 24, but week five was 45, week six, 49. Once Leonard Williams get there, it goes down to 17. Then week 10, 18. Week 11 is a bye week. Week 12, 19. Then it jumps back up. Week 13, 31. Week 14, 32. Week 15, 36. And then it drops to week 16, 17. And week 17, 13. Not a real promising sign. It's like the Giants maybe even gave him a chance to maybe earn, quote unquote, his uh, his playing time again after week 14 and 15. And it didn't seem like it really made a huge impact because in week 16 and 17, he barely saw the field again. So, he could have even been dealing with an injury that you and I, that none of us are really too much pri- that we're not privy to, that could be a case as well. But it did seem like once Leonard Williams came in, he just got relegated to this rotational role, and you never really saw him that much. He was another one though against the the Vikings. I remember him making a couple plays too, where he was getting after Kirk Cousins. But I, I don't necessarily think it was a gl- any glaring things that he did on the field that really jumped out to me. It was just he was the victim of circumstance, and he wasn't making as many plays as the guys who were in front of him on the depth chart. Yeah, I think that that's that's probably fair. It'll be interesting to see how it breaks for him this season. Obviously, as the Giants, like we said, we expect him to use a lot more linebackers on the field and a lot more second level secondary player, or third level secondary players. So, I don't know if there's going to be really room for him this year either. It'll be interesting to see where his snap counts go. But how about a guy who I think could be a sleeper on this roster? It's not someone you hear about a lot when you hear about the Giants. But it's a guy who had his whole rookie season. It's a guy who the Giants, first of all, loved on tape when they drafted him in 2018. Um, And I thought there was always some really intriguing traits that he had. And then it's a guy who lost his whole rookie season with a really weird 
injury that was never really fully reported on, but it cost him to lose a lot of weight and basically his whole football form. And then finally, he kind of gets back into football shape and back into football form in 2019. Obviously, he's on a crowded depth chart, so doesn't break through with many snaps. But when he played, I really liked what I saw from RJ McIntosh. I thought this guy was seriously a talent on the interior defensive line, somebody who could be a really good rotational pass rusher. And it showed. I mean, he got pressure on the few snaps he had. Do you think there's any sleeper appeal with McIntosh? Because I, I really feel there is. I think on a, on another roster that it would be much easier to say that there is. And I guess if you really want to go with deep sleeper, then yes. But it's it's tough to crack, man, because we're talking about B.J. Hill barely getting right. any snaps. And R.J. McIntosh, he might get thrown in there. Obviously, mop-up duty, things like that. I think he should make the roster because I do like his, uh, I guess, the things that he does bring from a uh, from a length perspective. Like, I remember studying him at the U. He, I remember him being very, very long. I think him and Kendrick Norton were, like, the two guys I was yeah. uh, studying at the time. And I think Kendrick Norton actually lost his arm in a really bad car accident since then. So that really is unfortunate. But... McIntosh ends up going to the Giants and yeah, rookie season. Don't really know what the hell happened. Now he's out there. I mean, looking at his mock draftable right now, the, the length really checks out. I mean, 82 and three fourth inch wingspan. That's 97th percentile for defensive linemen, 33 and seven eighth inch arms, which is 71st. So he's a really long guy. But from my main concern with him was how will he hold up at the point of attack? Cause he was always slightly underweight and obviously whatever it was that cost him his rookie season, uh, really, kind of also exacerbated his weight loss. But when he was out there, I think he would, he flashed a couple times where I thought, yeah, maybe he can be somebody who can come in five snaps a game to really just, you know, spell some defensive tackles if they're stuck out on a long drive because they need to be subbed out and things like that. But it's still going to be an uphill climb, especially because they bring in Austin Johnson, who is playing with his old coach from college. So that's another thing to really consider. But Hey, I do love the length. And I think on uh, in pass rushing situations, he's somebody who could be put into the roster. But it's a uh, <laughs> it's a really really deep defensive line room. Yeah. Speaking of Austin Johnson, you got a chance to look at some of his uh, game tape. What do you think, Austin Johnson? Does he have a chance to make any kind of impact for the Giants this season? I can see Austin Johnson being put out there uh, on rushing downs mainly. He's not going to be used as much as a pass rusher, but I think he'll get some cracks on first and second downs, running situations. Again, another player who is technically sound. He executes the right gap discipline. He was able to crack the rotation for Tennessee, which was a pretty deep rotation out there. I think he'll he'll scratch the rotation here, but again, it's really, really deep. But he's pairing with his defensive line coach, Coach Spencer, Coach Chaos, was at Penn State when he was there. So there's a lot of familiarity uh, there between uh, Spencer and McIntosh. So I think that's, or not McIntosh, Spencer and Austin Johnson. So I really think that's something that can uh, definitely help his cause because they definitely have some sort of rapport together. But uh, he's not somebody that I, I don't feel like he'll really make that big of an impact as a pass rusher. But when it comes to Patrick Graham, man, I don't know passing situations. How many of these big guys is he, is he even going to have out there? So it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of does that. Cause I could really see him putting Leonard Williams out there and then the, and then the, just the second level defenders, maybe Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence, Dexter Lawrence at the zero, Leonard Williams, maybe at the three and you bring guys like Cam Brown on the blitz, you know? Yeah. I mean, speaking of coach, uh, coach chaos, which is the nickname for defensive line coach, new defensive line coach, Sean Spencer from Penn state. I have never seen 
a coach that had as much like fanfare, a, a positional coach that has as much fanfare as Coach Sean Spencer. Every single guy who I know who breaks down this Penn State football team in depth, fan, from fans to analysts, talk about this as like the biggest loss ever that the Giants got this guy. They can't believe it. They think he's unbelievable. Like they talk about him like he's like he's almost like a defensive coordinator. Inside they high, hold him in high regard. So in such high regard. So I'm really excited to see what kind of impact Spencer can make on the Giants. And I also think you know adding outside linebacker coach senior assistant Brett Bielma is going to help too. This is a guy who has a ton of experience coaching the defensive line. He did it with the Patriots last season. He coached the Badgers. He was the head coach there when I went to school there. And he you know always had really good defensive lines. He I think he gets the defense side of the ball. I think he gets the Patriots way of defense, which the Giants are obviously going to be all about in 2020. So I think those two coaches are really sneaky good at doing I really do believe that. Yeah, I hope uh, Coach Spencer will be like Coach uh, Waffle was for the Michael Strahan, OCU, yeah. New York, Justin Tuck uh, defensive lines of the past. But it uh, remains to be seen. But it, everything I've heard, same thing you said. Everything I heard, everyone loves and raves about Coach KL. So that's got to be a great get for this coaching staff and the New York Giants and all of us, man, because that's what I, like, we can't stress enough how important these position coaches are. No one really talks about it. It doesn't grab headlines, but you surround yourself as a head coach with the right people. It's going to maximize your ability to win games. And then, you know, people start getting plucked off your roster. Like, look at the Philadelphia Eagles. What happened to that 2017 Super Bowl team? Guys like Frank Reich just start getting plucked and the team. It's not bad, but you have to overcome the losses of the great coaches, and hopefully the Giants will have that issue in a couple of years. Right, exactly. Okay, how about one more final guy I think has a chance to crack the roster? I really do believe it will be kind of a tight ship here with Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Dobbin Thompson, B.J. Hill, R.J. McIntosh, and Austin Johnson most likely being the guys that make this roster. But how about Chris Slayton, a rookie they drafted in the seventh last year? Didn't get much of a chance last year. Do you see any chance of him cracking this roster? I think it's going to be deep, to be honest, especially with Patrick Graham and how we envision him uh, utilizing the personnel and how it might right. not be as traditional as what we're used to. I'm, I'm never going to rule anybody out. And it's also everything gets thrown into a weird position just because of the COVID situation, too. But I could see Slayton not making the roster and then getting stashed on the practice squad if they do really value him. Again, a bigger dude, six foot four, three hundred nine pounds, has some positional versatility. But I think uh, that that might be where he ends up. Yeah, interesting. All right, Nick, one final thing. Let's break down. Where do you see I'm, – I'm interested in your opinion, and I'll give you mine after. Uh, where do you see the Giants lining these guys up? So you think that, you know, Lawrence will play more nose tackle this year, or it will be a lot of Dalvin Tomlinson, et cetera, et cetera. Williams, will he play more nose? Like where do you see them lining up on this interior defensive front? I think one of the cool things about them all is that they are versatile. But, if yeah. say, if it's a first down situation, I can see Dexter Lawrence – out of one technique, it depends. If it's an even front, you could put Dexter at that one technique, or if it's an odd front, you can put him as the nose, and you could also put Dalvin there too, and you could really interchange them. You could put either of those guys at three technique. If you want that upfield pressure from a three technique, the guy who's quickest off the snap is Leonard Williams, so you could put him there. I think Austin Johnson can figure in a similar light, not as, um, I wouldn't say as, I guess, consistent or as strong as the other two, but they can. he can also line up as a one technique, I would say. You can put him at three technique, too. So I love the fact that the, it is very versatile. If they do run bare front, which is two, three techniques and a, and a nose, you put Dexter Lawrence at the nose, the two, three techniques, Dalvin Tomlinson, Austin Johnson, or Leonard Williams, or you could put Leonard Williams right. as someone who's even roaming behind as some sort of edge who's going to loop into tight gaps, something like that. You can do a lot of different things. 
especially because Williams is really quick and he is a good athlete. So you can do a lot of different things with him. But I think on those third down situations, you're going to see maybe only two of those guys out there, maybe Leonard and Dexter or Leonard and Dalvin even, depends on how they really want to do it. If it was me, if I'm picking the two best pass rushers, the guy with the best pass rushing upside of those guys, it's it's Leonard definitely, and then probably Dexter at this point. But I think Dalvin can do something. I want to see more of B.J. Hill because I thought he would have had that upside because he's a pretty good athlete too for a really bigger guy as well. People kind of, I don't think they forget that, but we haven't really seen it really come to fruition. I have seen a couple plays of him, and I even remember it last year where he was, where he would chase some running backs down in pursuit on some like outside kind of plays. And I would be like, wow, man, PJ Hill could really hustle. He could really move. So I would really like that to happen this year, too. But it, it, it's going to be hard for them to crack. It really just depends on the context of the situation, on where you're going to line these guys up. What, what, what were you thinking? Yeah, I think it's, like you said, I think it's based on down and distance, based on the situation. But I'm going to be intrigued to see if the Giants do use a little bit more Lawrence over the nose. Um, I think that's what I think the biggest difference will be. We'll see more of that this season. And I think that gives them a lot more options and it makes them a different it, it makes him a kind of a different defensive front when he's over the nose um it's just it's, it's a different it's a different thing it's a whole different beast for the for the opposing offenses that to deal with especially you know at the point of attack there with the, i mean like he's a different player than dalvin tomlinson they're both similar skill sets but he's a very different player he's so much bigger and he moves really well for his size he really does you, you can yeah line up in a tight front too which is similar to the bear only yeah, instead right. of the three techniques they just split out a little bit further to a four eye technique. All right, and that just changes the angles for the offense a lot. And then it could also get a lot of pressure because now you're shaded. So on the inside of that tackle instead of the outside shoulder of the guard. Oh yeah. All right, Nick, anything else you want to break down when it comes to the giants interior defensive front? Or is that about it? Uh, one, uh, would you say this is the best position group on the New York giants? Oh, that's an interesting question. What do I think the best position group is on the Giants? Yeah, I'm going to go with it. I, it didn't take me long to think about it. I'm going to go with the interior defensive line here. Um, I think the offensive line has weirdly made some strides and given me some hope that it maybe it can become it. I uh, don't think you put linebackers. I don't think you put secondary there. Uh, receivers, no. Running backs, whatever. I mean, you could probably. I mean, probably it's running back. <laughs> Even though it's only a one-man show there, it's still probably running back. But I'll go into your defensive line based on just the depth. I really think there's a bunch. These three guys can really all have fantastic seasons this year. Yeah, I mean, for me, when it comes to depth, is easily the defensive line. I think right. safeties is an interesting one too because I really think yeah. the addition of Xavier McKinney That's is uh, is really going to prove to be uh, really valuable for the New York Giants. Yeah, safeties is definitely in play as well. All right, folks, that's all we have for tonight. On the interior defensive line podcast, we're going to break down edges next, and we'll probably kick it inside for the other linebackers, the inside backers. Uh, do us a favor. If you enjoy the show, please download the podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate and review it. Follow our Instagram page, which is NYBigBlueBanter on Instagram. Give us a follow. Check out our content there. Otherwise, we'll speak to you guys soon. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody up. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. 
Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.